Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Whenever I give presentations on the Eastern churches to live audiences, and I do that quite often, proud to say, and also humble to say, many people, many groups, tour groups, school groups, parish groups, all kinds of groups and individuals visit my parish of Annunciation in Homer Glen, Illinois. And I often give talks and tours of the church, explain the iconography, the liturgy, and so on. And also I'm asked to go to different venues all over the place, all over the world, quite frankly and talk about the Eastern churches, just as I do in this program. After I do, I'm often faced with a question from the audience. And usually it's from someone who is a Latin Rite Catholic. They'll say, what is the place of women in your church or in the Eastern churches? And that question is, well, it's rather challenging for me to answer because it's, it's not so simple to answer, at least in the way that people might expect it to be answered, but also because the question itself has a certain, shall I say, invalidity to it. Because probably my best response is and ought to be the place of women in the church is the place of men in the church and the place of children in the church. Everybody has a place in the church. Now, the people asking that question, though, are probably really asking, what about women in ministry or women at the altar? They don't seem to see a lot of women moving about the altar or in those what I would call high-profile liturgical positions in the church, at least in the Eastern churches for the most part. And there is a place for women in our church as there is a place for men and for children and for teenagers and for babies. But the question is, what is that particular place for women? And, of course, again, I answer with another question, should they have a particular place? In other words, why are you asking me why they have or don't have a particular place? Well, the best way to answer is to understand some things about the Eastern churches, our liturgy, and about womanhood, and also the whole order of creation. In the church is actually preserved in its liturgy, the whole context of the order of creation. 
And when we talk about women or men or whomever, we need to see that in light of the liturgy of the church, even its art and its architecture. In the Eastern churches, and this was true in the Latin Rite Church as well, it still is true essentially, but a lot of this has been obscured since the Second Vatican Council. And again, I'm not criticizing the Latin Church, I'm simply talking about shifts and changes that explain certain things. But in classic, what I'll call classic church architecture, and this is for both lungs of the church, East and West, there was in the very layout of the church and the liturgy the flow, the rhythm, the words, the functions, the positions, all the aspects of the liturgy, there was preserved in that the whole context of basically not only the whole created order, but of ourselves as man and woman. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament temple, because the Christian temple, the church as we know it today, especially in the Eastern churches and in some of the older Latin Rite churches, was based on and grew out of, to a large extent, not entirely, but to a large extent, the design and the, the essence, the spirituality, the charism of the Old Testament temple. Now, the Old Testament temple had different zones. It had a holy of holies. It had the part where the people were. It had the part where the women were. There were several zones. Now, the holy of holies, the sanctuary, or the tabernacle, as it was also called, was reserved only for the high priest. And the high priest, and we read about this in Ezekiel and the book of Leviticus and also in the epistle to the Hebrews, the high priest only, as the only authorized person, would enter beyond the veil, beyond the barrier into the holy of holies. And the reason why only he was permitted to as the only authorized person was because the holy of holies was considered to be the nuptial chamber where the bridegroom, God, would come to meet his bride, Israel, in the nuptial chamber of the Holy of Holies. In other words, spousal imagery, that spousal analogy, was at the basis of Jewish worship and of the temple. The high priest represented both the church, the people, the bride, and also, at the same time, the bridegroom. And only he would enter into the Holy of Holies representing the bride coming to meet in the marital union. And again, this is speaking mystically, the marital union between God, the bridegroom, and his bride Israel. When Christianity developed its temple, that's actually the proper word for our church. It's a temple. The reason is because a temple is where sacrifice is offered. And surely we offer a sacrifice in Catholic and Orthodox churches, the sacrifice, the supreme sacrifice of the Eucharist, the supreme offering. So actually a Catholic church or an Orthodox church, properly speaking, is a temple. It's just that it's a Christian temple. The Christian temple picked up this design and this charism of the Jewish temple. In other words, this spousal mystery and the architecture that would be the architectural context for this mystery. So what happened was in both the Eastern and Western churches, the sanctuary was set off, was set apart from the nay, the rest of the church. In the Western church, it was the communion rail. In the East, it was the grand wall we call the iconostasis or icon screen, which had three doors and it was adorned floor to ceiling with icons. 
Beyond that barrier was the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, symbolic of heaven, but also, again, of that nuptial chamber. You think about it for a moment. What's happening there? We call down the Holy Spirit upon the gifts, and they become the body of Christ. So God, the bridegroom, and in particular Christ, the bridegroom, comes to do what in the Eucharist, the high point of the liturgy? To unite himself with his bride in the Eucharist. What are the quintessential words of the priest during the liturgy? Take, eat, this is my body, given up for you, or in some of the Eastern churches, broken for you. This is my blood, shed for you, given up for you. God, Christ, the bridegroom, offers his whole self his body and blood, soul and divinity to us so that we can unite ourselves with him and he with us in that mystical union. Already, this should sound to you, especially if you're married, like marriage, like the one flesh union between husband and wife. The bridegroom gives us his body completely without reservation that we, the bride, respond by receiving him and giving up our body as well. So the two of us become united in that intimacy of the Eucharist, just like a husband and wife. In fact, in the Byzantine liturgy, in the altar area, the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies of Byzantine churches, off to the side on the north wall, sort of in the north corner of the sanctuary, is a table of preparation where the gifts are prepared as if the bride is being prepared for the wedding and the consummation of that wedding. And like everywhere else in the church, there is an icon that is prescribed for that area. And one of those icons is called Christ the bridegroom, which shows him being stripped and being prepared to be scourged at the pillar. Remember that? It shows his hands are tied. He's got the reed in his hand. He's got the scarlet cloak, the crown of thorns. He's half naked. This is the preparation of the bridegroom who will give his entire body, who will spend himself, who will, in a sense, die into his bride on the cross. And before that, and now in our modern day, of course, in the Eucharist. So the spousal image is very strong, very much underpinning what goes on in the liturgy in the Eastern churches. Now, on the altar of an Eastern church is the tabernacle. The tabernacle has within it, of course, the presence of Christ in the consecrated bread, just as it does in the Latin rite. In the Eastern churches, the tabernacle is almost always on the altar, always remains there. And the priest stands in front of that altar, facing it, facing the tabernacle. He faces east, ad orientum. And he is the steward of the tabernacle. The tabernacle can be symbolized by womanhood. And in fact, above the tabernacle in the sanctuary of Eastern churches is painted the icon, again, it's prescribed to be there, the great large icon of the Platitera. This means more spacious to the heavens. It's an icon of the mother of God presenting Christ to us as if from her womb. So Christ is within her. More spacious in the heavens means he whom not even the heavens could contain was contained within the womb of a virgin, making her more spacious in the heavens and therefore the mystical tabernacle. So she hovers in the icon above the tabernacle on the altar and the priest is the steward of that. He is the only one authorized to enter that tabernacle, to stand at the altar, the Holy of Holies. This is 
a parallel to and, and also the context for man and woman, husband and wife. Each woman, by extension, by having the same body as the mother of God, having within her a womb, a meaning place between heaven and earth, also herself has, mystically speaking, a tabernacle. And her husband, like the priest, in relation to the tabernacle on the altar, is the steward, the guardian of the sanctity of her tabernacle, as the only authorized person to enter and approach there. We're going to talk more about womanhood in the context of liturgy of the Eastern churches when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. In Homer Glen, Illinois, lies an award-winning 10-acre restored prairie which surrounds Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. The prairie brings peace and tranquility to the surrounding neighborhood and where the children can play, find nature, and experience the meaning of serenity just beyond their backyard. We celebrate the prairie with all the things it brings, Friday through Saturday, August 12th through the 14th. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to the best ever Prairie Fest. During these three days, you can enjoy great bands like 16 Candles, Infinity, Nick Lynch, and Polka with Polka Generations. Also at Prairie Fest, see the Brazilian Dancers, the Elite Dance Academy, and the Polish Highland Dancers. There will be ethnic and festival food with a beer garden, raffles, children's games, prairie and church tours, plus a grand cash raffle with over $12,000 in total prizes. You can even learn how to paint a picture of the prairie from master artist Father Thomas Lawyer while sipping some wine in the Wine Art Studio. Prairie Fest! Friday through Saturday, August 12th through the 14th. Prairie Fest at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Complete details, visit ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. We're answering the question of what is the place of women in the Eastern churches? And to answer that question, well, first of all, back up a little bit, as I said before, and I'll reiterate it again. In a sense, the question is a little bit invalid because the proper answer is the place of women is the same as the place of men and children and adolescents and babies of everyone. No one person deserves a special place and we shouldn't see the priesthood or the men at the altar as having a so-called special place. Yes, it is special, but we shouldn't see it that way in terms of, you know, who's got the privilege or the power. They've got it and I don't. So there's a certain invalidity in the question, and there's a certain innocence in it as well. So we're trying to respond really to both levels here. In order to do that, we're putting womanhood in the context of the liturgy in the Eastern churches, which also means putting it in context of the art and architecture of the church. It all goes together. Integration is very important in the church, and it's especially significant and evident in the Eastern churches. We're very integrated in this way. 
So we mentioned that we have a mystical context, a mystical experience of the spousal mystery in the liturgy, even the layout of the church, the separation of the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, the nuptial chamber, and that union, that one flesh union between Christ the bridegroom and his bride the church being the context, the parallel, the analogy for the one flesh union between husband and wife. The priest guards the tabernacle as the only authorized person as a husband must guard the tabernacle of his wife. In other words, her womb, her femininity. And so we have the context already of man-woman relationships already in the liturgy, which of course is based upon the sanctity of both, the dignity of both, not about who's got a privilege and who doesn't. Now the priest in the Byzantine liturgy, and also in the Latin Rite liturgy too, although it's a little more evident in the Eastern churches because of the icon screen, takes up the same analogy, the same symbolism as the high priest in the Jewish temple that we talked about earlier. So the priest represents at one and the same time persona ecclesia and persona Christi. In other words, the church, the bride, and the bridegroom Christ. He represents the church by the fact that he's facing the altar, ad orientum, facing east, like all the people. He's one of the people also leading them, you know, like Moses, to Christ. Then he turns towards the people at times, and in those moments, he represents, in a very evident way, persona Christi, in other words, the person of Christ. Why does he represent Christ so evidently in those moments? Because he comes from the altar towards the people, like the bridegroom Christ coming towards his bride, and it's always to fill them with something, to mystically impregnate them, fill them with the blessing, the Eucharist, the very body of Christ, or the Word of God. Think about it. Think about if you're in church, especially if you're in an Eastern Catholic liturgy or Orthodox liturgy, think of the times when the priest turns towards the people. It's only when he's bringing something to them. In this way, he is the bridegroom Christ coming to them. He turns around, faces the altar, faces east. He is representing the church leading them, but yet representing them. In other words, he's still part of them. You have the bride-bridegroom relationship there in the context of the liturgy, just as you did in the Old Testament Jewish temple. So the place of women at the altar would not follow from this because they could not represent in this particular way persona Christi. Yes, we all are images of Christ, but we're talking on a different level here on a level that makes this spousal relationship very real, liturgically and mystically. Remember, mystical means what is most real, what is known, and yet what is unknown, but yet we know it's there. We don't know all about it, but we know it's there, and there's some things we know very well all at the same time. That is mystery. So mystery is very poignant in the liturgy, and so its, its analogies, its symbolisms have to be very poignant too. In the church, when we come to words like symbolism or sign, they're much richer, much more fuller and deeper than when we use them in the secular world. In the church, especially in liturgy, when we use the word sign or symbol, it means not only something that's just symbolizing something else or pointing to something else, but actually immerses us in the reality that it's signifying In other words, it actually brings us into that reality, and not only points to it, but brings us into that reality. And so it is important, and it matters whether at the altar the priest is a male or a female. That actually matters. God actually uses our complementarity, our gender, our sex, whichever word you want to use, 
He uses that to reveal himself, to reveal that order, that balance, that relationship of him to us, the bridegroom to the bride. So what can women do and not do in the Eastern churches, especially liturgically? Well, again, there's a little bit of invalidity even in that question, because it springs from what I would call the utilitarian worldview, which tends to measure things in terms of function and usefulness and also power and authority. Who's doing what? In other words, if that person at the altar gets to do this, this, and this, why can't that person? See, this puts the whole question on the level of function, of who's doing what, and is it fair? Is everybody equal? In the church, especially in its liturgy, and in particular the Eastern liturgy, it's not a question of who's doing what. It's a question of what mystery is being made present. What is being signified by the signs? What reality are we participating in by virtue of the symbols? So the sign, the symbols really matter because they immerse us into the greater reality. And it's not about doing things, it's about being or signifying, making present the mystical reality. But having said that, You'll notice that if you have any experience with Eastern churches, that the place of women is huge in Eastern churches, very huge. Women are extremely prominent, extremely vital in the church. They add and participate in so much of the life of the church. They can canter. They can be in the choirs, lead responses. They can do readings. Again, I'm kind of breaking my own rules here by defining things in terms of who's doing what, but... Just to make a certain point here, I'll, I'll do that for a while here. They can do things, but we have to think of it not in terms of do they have or who has power? Do they have equal power with the man up there who's the priest? Because we shouldn't be seeing that as power either. We should not be seeing the priesthood in a utilitarian view. Priesthood is a matter of making present a mystery and of service. It's not a matter of power, although yes, there is authority in the priesthood by virtue of the dignity of the priesthood, the integrity that Christ gives it. But that integrity, something Christ gives it, is not claimed by the priest himself. So we don't look at things in terms of power, like a hierarchy of power, of privilege, of function. We look at it in terms of the mystery being made present and the sense of service. And let me tell you, womanhood really serves the church in the Eastern churches. Women are revered, especially the older women are revered in the Eastern churches. And the most significant place in the church, believe it or not, especially in its liturgy in the Eastern churches, is not the person up at the altar that we think is the boss, the one with the authority, the one with the privilege, the one with the vestments, the one who gets to be up there and be the powerful one. It's not there at all. It's in the nave. It's among the people. The people make the liturgy. The priest does his part, but it's the people who make the liturgy in both the East and the Western churches. Yes, the priest is indispensable in what he does, yes. When we're talking about the experience of liturgy, its vitality, its dynamism, its sincerity, its richness, that is up to the people. And so women are people. Women are in the nave. Women, like the men in the nave and the children and the babies, the babies certainly do their job most of the time, contributing to the chanting of the liturgy in their own way. But all people carry actually 
the greater load of the liturgy, not the priest. Yes, very specified, very significant dimensions belong to the priest, but the liturgy itself really belongs more so to the people. In fact, the chant we use in the Eastern churches, many Eastern churches, is called the plain chant or the people's chant. That shows you how much ownership the people have of the liturgy. They actually name the chant for them, the people's chant, the plain chant. And the Eastern churches, without the people chanting, the liturgy really, well, remains, of course, sacred and valid, but it really falls flat, falls flat on its face, regardless of who the priest is. The priest can be the most holiest person in the world. He can be able to sing like Pavarotti. Doesn't matter. The liturgy will rise or fall in terms of its dynamism, its vitality on the people. And that, of course, includes the women who direct choirs, who lead cantering, who just participate in the singing, and, of course, do so many, many other things in the life of the parish. And furthermore, in the Eastern churches, women can be the wife of a priest. So talk about being prominent in the church and sharing in the ministry of the priest, being very deeply involved in the life of the church, critically involved. Well, there you have it with the wife of the priest. Or so that is how it's intended and designed, and for the most part, that's how it's lived. When it's not lived like that, that could be problematic, and it's not being really quite true to this, in a sense, vocation of being the wife of a priest. The wife of a priest, in fact, they were referred to as matushka or pani. These words mean something like, they can't be translated exactly in English, but something like the female version of lord or lordess or mother. These are terms of great endearment and great dignity, basically almost untranslatable directly in English. That's why a lot of times, even in English-speaking parishes in the Eastern churches, we use the term matushka or pani, even though we speak English, because those terms just seem to carry the meaning that certain English words cannot fully carry. There's so much more to this question about women in the Eastern churches, and we'll deal with that in the future here on Light of the East. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, ByzantineCatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.